You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great, if you've got a Bible, we are in the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. This is actually week five, and we've got a noble going to be preaching to us next week from Daniel, so that will be fantastic. Book of Daniel, we're looking at. Daniel actually would have been probably um, a book of wisdom. If you've missed the previous weeks, this was really written, I guess it's a bit long for a, a Twitter, but it was really written to bring wisdom to people. Wisdom to people that were in a difficult place to say, God is in control. I don't know what you feel when you've looked at just the news this week, but actually this, it's almost like there's a tweet coming out, God is in control. God is in control. The king has a dream. Nobody understands it. But actually, the, the, the interpretation comes through Daniel because God is in control. Suddenly, we find that the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace. What is going to happen? God is in control, even over nature. Last week, we were looking at chapter 4. The king literally goes mad. But then he's restored to his kingdom because God is in control. And now we're going to be looking at this one. It's called The Writing on the Wall. It's quite a a famous chapter of the Bible. In fact, Rembrandt has painted a picture of it and it is hanging in the National Gallery, I believe. There is a thing, we still refer to The Writing on the Wall now. It gives us a warning. Something bad is about to happen. This one, you've got to be on the edge of your seat. I'm going to read most of this chapter But you can follow on here because you'd see I just skip a few things because it's quite long. So verse 1, the writing on the wall. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. We think actually he would have been on a stage. And we think he would have sat in front of the people and there would have been a thousand of them. They'd all been toasting wine together. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine... He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. They go and get them, verse 4. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, of silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly... The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers and diviners. And basically, they couldn't work this one out. Then in verse 10, the queen, who wasn't in the banquet, comes in. And she says, oh, none of these guys will be able to sort it. What you really need to do is send for Daniel. Verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? And I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. Now, I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If 
you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple. Great color purple is all I can say. You'll have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. We think it was only the third because actually he was second. We think his father was actually reigning. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And then Daniel recaps chapter 4. And he says, do you remember about your father? He was proud and God humbled him. And when he became humble, he became king again. Verse 22. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all his ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mini, mini, tekel, pozim. Here is what these words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Let me just ask you a question. How do you feel when you hear that Bible story? How do you feel? You see, I've been looking at the media this week, and, and as a nation... Our media definitely wants justice. We want justice. How would they have felt about the king here? I was reading this week of an unelected European official that managed to have a private jet to take him to Rome. Our media is saying, give us justice. I read this week of a doctor that didn't care for the patient and the widow Tragically, he's demanding justice. I read this week of upskirting. I don't know if you're aware of that. It happened at a festival. Girl wearing a short skirt, guy takes a picture. She's demanding justice. I've read this week of the pusher on the Putney Bridge. One guy was arrested, but they still don't know who did it. But we're demanding, where is the justice? I've read this week of Taylor Swift being groped, allegedly by a DJ. Where is the justice? I've read this week about girls that were taken advantage of and abused in Newcastle. And we're saying, where is the justice? 
And so in many respects, although this book was written two and a half thousand years ago, I believe that it answers many of the questions that we're going through today. There's almost a sense of, God, where's the justice? What's going on here? This guy, King Belshazzar, I called him King because, as I say, we think actually he was the second in charge. We think his father, Nabonidus, had actually been away in Arabia for 10 years. So he'd been managing the kingdom for 10 years, and so for all intents and purposes was king. What do we know about him? Well, we know that he was married. We know several times because it talks about his wives. We know he had a group of concubines. We know that he enjoyed sex. We know that he liked to drink wine, and we know that he knew how to throw a party. I, I guess in some respects, he would be the kind of character you'd want on the new Big Brother house. You know, this is a guy that's going to go in there and cause a load of trouble. I would like to say that actually he's very similar to many of us today. You see, the reality was that this king lived for the here and now. What we know about this story is that the city, Babylon, was being surrounded by an invading army. So what does the king do? Cracks open a beer. Let's be honest, that's true of many people today, isn't it? Suddenly we're in debt, so what do we do? Not open the post. Let's just avoid the situation. You know, it's like, oh, life's just a bit stressful. Let's go out and get drunk on a Friday night. He was like that too. He was naive. They reckon that the army managed to get into Babylon by diverting the river Euphrates that went through the city. Now, what had happened, you see, is the river Euphrates used to literally go under the wall, and so by diverting it, he managed to reduce the level of the river to waist height. And so what happened is the invading soldiers just walked under the wall and got in. Why didn't he have somebody watching the river? Why was he like that? It's funny, isn't it? I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about Alpha. It's amazing how many people can be naive about who is Jesus? Why did he die? What does it mean today? And yet you think, here's an Alpha course. Why not have a look? Why not find out? I guess King Belshazzar was very similar to us. He was quite proud. He was a king that should have been taking responsibility. As a king, what should he have done? He should have called a fast. He should have said, come on, let's cry out. Maybe God will protect us from our enemies. Instead, he was having a feast. In fact, when he meets Daniel, Daniel, who we think actually it could well have been his mother, the queen in this story. There are a few things that we're trying to work out. He doesn't say, oh, Daniel, the wise one. What does he call him? Daniel the exile. There's no respect, is there? He's proud. He thinks, well, I know better. How good are we at asking questions? You see, this king only thought about the physical, the right here, the right now. He wanted seductive excess. He takes hold of even of these goblets. Now, these goblets, you might think nobody was hurt with them. They'd been taken 47 years ago from Jerusalem. So when his father, in, and, and you can see that we think it was his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel 1, it says he, he, he plundered the temple and took these gold. 
He thought, oh, there's no big deal. But actually, God identified with those goblets. And so by taking the goblets, you're acting against God. Here was a king that I guess is very similar to us. He thought, the way to get out of my problem is to pay some money. You see, suddenly he gets the astrologers in and he says, look, I'll pay you if you can tell me the answer. I don't know about you, that's why we have plastic for, isn't it? You suddenly think, oh God, if I'm in trouble, well, visa, that will sort it out. He was a king that was accused by Daniel of being ignorant. Daniel said, look, even your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, he humbled, you should have known that. But instead, he chose permissiveness over education. Here is a king that buried his head. Even when Daniel comes in and says, look, you're going to be in real trouble, what does he do? He gives a king, and he gives the guy a new cloak and puts some bling around his neck. I mean, it's ridiculous, really, isn't it? Now let me ask you a question. Do you relate to that king in any way? Is there any way you think, actually, Pete, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit like that. David Helm, he's an author and a pastor from Chicago, says this, each one of us has not honoured God as God, but traded him in for what could be considered the wine of our own making. So suddenly we've got this situation where things have gone horribly, horribly wrong. This is a king that is not behaving as he should. This is a king that's not as wise as he should be. This is a king that has messed up. And then suddenly we get the finger of God. I know that obviously you're an active crowd this morning because you've all been clapping. I once had an acting lesson and I was told in the acting lesson that you, the way to make your mouth move, to look like you're talking, this was just in the background, I was never in the foreground, was to say rhubarb. Apparently it just gets your lips moving and people can't guess it and you just go rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb and it looks like you're having a conversation. So I would like everybody now just to say rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. Rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. Rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. No, keep it going. I'd like the noise. I can't hear the noise. Rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. You see, there would have been this buzz and then suddenly there would have been a stop. Because the hand comes. It's, it's a shame I couldn't have got one. It would have been above a lamp like that. So they would have all been talking. They'd have all been parting. And suddenly this hand would come and write. Suddenly, the musicians that would have been playing would have stopped. The dancing girls that would have been there for entertainment would have stopped. The waiters that were carrying the wine or the food would have stopped. Everybody would have turned, surely, and suddenly seen this. If it had been a newspaper the next day, wine in gold to blood run cold is what I was thinking it might have said. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like, oh, they were parting away, weren't they? And suddenly, I love it, his face turns pale, he gets frightened, his knees are knocking together, his legs give way. You know, there's suddenly this dramatic picture. John Lennox, I've quoted him every Sunday. You probably ought to buy his book. You probably don't need to buy his book. I've probably preached it to you. He has been brilliant to me. He's an Irish mathematician, professor and apologist. He says this to the king. It must have been terrifying to discover in this way the God he did not believe in was the God who was there. So what happened is King Belshazzar, this arrogant, proud king, doesn't believe in God, does his own thing, suddenly discovers God is there. 
I wonder if you believe in God. I wonder if you've had something at that moment. You think, wow, even while we've been singing this morning, God is here. These people genuinely believe in God. The challenge is this finger comes and... uh, the interpretation by Daniel is this, that the king is accused of three things. He's accused of pride. I don't need God. He's accused of ignoring and offending God by the way he used the cups. And he's accused of worshipping other gods of wood, stone, and idols. These three words come and bring judgment on him. Mene tekel perez. I was trying to imagine, what, but how could we possibly understand the gravity of this? It would be a bit like the Queen having a state banquet for Donald Trump, as we know that she may well have to do, and suddenly a hand appearing and writing on the walls, pound and pence. That is what it would have been like. There were measures, reducing measures that were written up there. Basically, it meant you are numbered, you're weighed, and your kingdom will be divided. You see, what we discover, the finger of God brings this thing, the standard of God you've not met, you've failed. And that's true for each one of us, isn't it? You see, if I'm really honest, I tend to think my standard is, what about you? Could I do a little bit better than you? If I could do a little bit better than you, then I'm okay. I might not say that, but I could often live like that. If I could just get a promotion quicker than my colleague, then my standard's okay. Whereas actually the standard here is God's standard is perfection. And suddenly the king has not made it. The judgment is swift. That very night, that very night the king dies. I don't know how many days I've got. But going back to this finger... I just love this. I believe there's a picture here. This finger, they reckon that the walls would have had a white plaster on and this finger literally would have written into the wall. Now the reality is that the lampstand in the hall must have been twice this size. You know what I'm saying? You've got a thousand people in it. The lampstand in the hall, the light would run out and the writing would be swallowed in darkness. It would be seen no more. And yet I would like to suggest this morning that the hand that wrote in Babylon two and a half thousand years ago wrote again. You see, we believe in that the Bible has got one story. And if you look in, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. There's four accounts of the life of Jesus. In the account of John, in John chapter 8, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Hey, wow, suddenly I'm picking up themes here. There was a light here. Well, just before he declares this, in John chapter 8, verse 13, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees bring in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us, Stone such a woman. What do you say? You see, the religious believed the finger of God had written the commandments. And in the light of the law, she was guilty. You could read about that in Exodus 31. It says, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. How do you feel when it comes to judgment before God? 
Do you feel like, actually, I'm guilty? But God wrote these commandments. I, I could never keep them all. What happens with Jesus? It says in John, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning, and he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And you almost feel like the finger of God is writing again. And that suddenly there'd been this thing in the Old Testament that the Lord had been written, but actually now Jesus is here and he's an expression of who God really is. And this woman is definitely guilty. He writes on the ground and says, actually, if any of you are perfect, pick up the first stone. Killer. That's what the law says. John Ortberg's written a great book about this whole episode, and I, I wish I could sort of describe it to you, really. He was saying that literally you'd have stood there on that day and heard thud, thud, thud as the older people dropped their stones and walked away. And then suddenly the younger folk would have looked around and thought, oh, yeah, I'm not perfect either dropped the stone and walked away. Eventually there's no one left except Jesus and this woman. In John 8 it carries on, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one sir, she said. Then neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. So this finger of God, it's almost had come in grace. Actually, what you've done was wrong, but I'm telling you now to leave it. John Lennox, I told you he gets a lot of quotes. This is the last one. I couldn't get him to come and preach, so, you know. He says this, The light that had driven the hypocritical and guilty religious men away had also brilliantly illuminated the path to her forgiveness. It's almost like the brightness of Jesus and his grace the religious had fled. And the brightness of Jesus and his grace, the true light of the world, was actually an attraction for this woman that was guilty. I think that's just amazing, isn't it? You see, we don't come before God today because of anything we've done right. We're going to hear the story of Brooks and Sonny in just a moment, and they're going to get baptized. And hey, it's not about, oh God, I did this and I achieved it. If it is, rewrite it quickly, guys. You know what I'm saying? It's much more now. Actually, the finger of God came in grace. I realized I wasn't good enough. I realized I could never make the standard. But Jesus died in my place. The true light of the world has shown a way for me to know God. I haven't got to flee from him. In fact, this is just the start of their journey. I know that we believe, uh, uh, being a Christian, actually the start is really the first time you say sorry to Jesus Christ. It's literally saying, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. I was raised in a Christian family, but for me, I remember it, it was a date in June when I prayed with my dad and I just said, to God, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong, I live for you. That's the start of it. But often baptism is seen as a picture of the start of your life. 
a life which now Paul, who was, um, he was one who was uh, against God initially, you could say the Damascus Road experience, I don't know if you've read of that. He then wrote 13 letters out of the 27 books in the New Testament. He then says, actually, the finger of God is now upon you. It says in 2 Corinthians, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so actually, the finger of God still wants to write today. And it's not just some historical thing that happened, but it's like the finger of God is writing upon these guys as they're saying, here I am, I surrender to you. You're Lord of my life. And I trust that is true for the rest of us. I trust that actually what we come, and we don't just look at this and think, oh, God, it's just judgment. I think actually we see that the finger of God brought grace, but actually the finger of God is now, I want to write stuff on your life. Who knows what could happen? Who knows where this could go? Who knows what this could be like? Surely we've got to believe for great things because we're not writing a story. He's writing the story. He's literally writing upon us. We deserve judgment. But in grace, God shows his light into our lives and then chooses to write upon them who knows what this could go. We often say here, we have these booklets, Why Jesus, at the table at the back there. There may be some in the room and you thought, God, I've never, ever let Jesus write upon my life. You might say, Pete, this just seems a, a new concept. As I said to you, baptism is the first visible sign. The first step of doing that is really to pray a prayer. We pray this each, each week because it may be your first time. You might never have prayed this. We would love you to pray it. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I'm changing the words slightly this week. Please write on my life. Please have your hand all over me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you have prayed that for the first time, I would love to chat with you at the end of the meeting. I'd love you to say, oh, do you know what, Pete? I've never prayed that before, but I did today. I would love to talk to you. See, I believe the finger of God is not just some story two and a half thousand years ago. It's not even 2,000 years ago writing in sand. I believe that he wants to write on your life. And I want to encourage you that if you say, well, look, I am a Christian, still believe that he's going to be writing things all over you right now. Who knows? Surrender to him. Say, golly, golly, what is the next chapter?
When I was a new Christian, there were 66 books in the Bible, in case you're uh, fairly new here. And uh, there's always a few blank pages at the back. And I used to have this little dream that I would have a question and I would write it in my Bible and I would leave it open when I went to sleep at night. And the next morning I'd wake up and God would have written the answer. And it's the, oh, wouldn't that be nice? And then you suddenly read this and you think, actually, God's writing. Am I reading it? Am I opening my heart to say, God, right here? You see, I believe that actually God still wants us to bring good news to people in healing. I still believe that God wants us to make an impact upon London. I still believe that God wants us to impact where we work, the neighbors that we live next to. And what we're looking for is lives that are surrendered so that God can write upon us and write through us and write history that who knows what could happen. Surely that is our prayer. And that is our prayer for these guys. Hey, you think, what an exciting day. I'll be careful because I'm now going out of time and I'm off piste. So I will stop carefully and hand back to you guys. Thank you.